Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? And, of course, hour number one of Canucks Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Canby and Maine or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. Uh, I know um, it's been a troublesome day getting around the city for, for a lot of people. Uh, but whether you are in a Enzyme Pacific Chrysler or any other uh, vehicle, uh, be safe uh, to wherever it is your destination may be and uh, calmly enjoy uh, the sultry tones of myself and Sat on Canuck Central. Yeah, and uh, exercising <laughs> uh, a lot of caution today. Uh, Josh is from home. I'm from home. Yes. Dan Riccio is like a stone's throw from the studio, so he braved the snow walking up. A I was a, it was a work. dicey walk, man. <laughs> you know, I got to go uphill. <laughs> It's not easy. I don't got chains to put around my boots. I'm not that kind of Vancouverite. He's like, you need, you actually need snowshoes to make it up a block. <laughs> it was pretty slippery. It got uh, a little dicey sometimes, you know. You you end up like uh, Daniel Stern in Home Alone 2 when he's slipping on the oil. You're kind of like dancing on the street as uh, as things happen. Uh, but uh, we made it, and uh, and we're all okay. But, uh, yes, uh, the safest way to get around the city uh, is to uh, not have to go anywhere. So if you don't have to, uh, probably best to stay indoors today and work from home, like my, uh, my co-host has decided to do today under his better judgment. So that leaves us with a lot of Canucks to talk about as uh, they get ready to play the Arizona Coyotes tomorrow. The discussion is still sort of filtering around Elias Pettersson sat uh, Jim Rutherford doing an interview with the province and he's asked once again about Elias Pettersson this time in the context of how does it affect your business or your want to make additions at the trade deadline and essentially Jim Rutherford says it won't impact our decision making ahead of the trade deadline. Yeah, and I mean, and and good on PJ for kind of following up on that because I think I think you know we we talked about this quite a bit the last couple of days, right? Especially yesterday too it was a big topic of conversation. And as we mentioned, it's one of those things that you would like to know, but it's nowhere near a panic button situation yet because the team is having success. So clearly, it's not a you know it's not a problem, and there's no way you're gonna make your team worse the deadline by moving Pedersen if you don't have an answer so the only question really worth asking to me was in, in terms of like what does how does it affect the season is does it affect their business in any sort of way and honestly like if you're trying to win and go far why would it affect your incoming moves the biggest thing it affects and we kind of went through this is well some guys you'd like to keep especially the are the UFAs they sign and some of these guys who are having good seasons those guys get impacted because of your higher salary players and how much they take of the pie is going to you know only leave so much for the other guys and where do you have to cut corners to make it all work but in terms of trying to make additions if you feel like you have a chance whatever Pedersen's status is or isn't doesn't it behoove you to make those moves and why would it get in your way of doing so yeah I, I, I guess the um, it, it really is about planning for next year more than anything else right and having Pedersen done and dusted can uh, give you an idea of how much space you have available to you if you do want to acquire a rental type player. Um, are you 
or do you feel comfortable then extending that rental player on top of you know making the the addition here at the deadline so that you can extend it into next year what does that cost and how does that look it's it's more of a planning thing than it is anything else for the Vancouver Canucks yeah, and, and I think, you know, I think the interesting conversation here about this team is what are they really going to do by the deadline? Yeah. What are they going to go after? And, and how willing are they to make those types of moves? And and yesterday, I know Dollywall mentioned and, and also Earth mentioned how, they, how they're how they kind of reluctant to move Niels Hoaglander. We know they're reluctant to move uh, like Karamaki and Willander. So it's like, you know, like, what are you going to be moving? So how far are they willing to go? And if you're moving your bigger pieces, would it be for something that's more than just a rental? Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of interesting players out there, but um, I'm still waiting to see how this trade market develops. Like the the one that's been top of mind is is Jake Gensel, as mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins star winger has had a lot of playoff success. You know, we know uh, Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford haven't been shy about acquiring players that they used to have in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. And it's worked out for them pretty well, you'd have to say. But, uh, you know, even even with Gensel, you know, as I say, the trade trade market still needs time to develop a little bit. Now, Kyle Dubas was asked today, GM of the Penguins, uh, on whether or not uh, they've received any offers about Jake Gensel, and they haven't really. And also, that they're still in the decision-making mode with what is going to happen for Jake Gensel. And they won't talk to him contract-wise until after the All-Star break to see what direction is best for both sides. So, you know, I because of the, the standings being really compact, Sat, I think that the trade market hasn't really developed as much as, as you would normally see it around this time as we get closer to the All-Star break. Yeah, that's the big question, and, and that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about, is like, who's going to shake loose? Who are some of the names that will come available? And, I mean, something that was really instructive last year was the Philip Hironic move, and, yeah. you know, I think Alvin himself mentioned, I think there was an interview somewhere, too, that where it was mentioned that um, they had spoken about Hironic, and they were kind of told, no, nah, we're not doing this, like, he's not somebody we're moving. And then, as the deadline approached, Eiserman circled back to them and said, hey, like, I don't want to make this a big deal, but... If you guys want him, here's the price. We can make it happen, right? So it's like, who are the types of players that they're interested in that aren't available, so to speak, that could become available by the trade deadline? And, I, and I'm still kind of looking at somebody we're not expecting. And, and that's what, what what I'm really most focused in on because the Gensel thing seems easy, but does it really make sense truly, right? Not like for me. For you yeah. To, yeah, to give up that much for a guy you may not be able to sign. It just doesn't fit kind of their MO, right? And also positional versatility. I mean... Who would do you think would make more sense in terms of what the team would looking was is looking for as a UFA acquisition? Is it Elias Lindholm or is it Jake Gensel? It's who who'd be more of a fit? Yeah. Oh man, that's a great question. Because you know the guy who drafted Lindholm is Jim Rutherford. Yeah. And also like the type of player. That he is, right? Two-way type of guy, can do some different things. The Swedish factor, of course, with Alvin. But in terms of like how they want to play as a team, having the versatility, doing different things, to me, Lindholm's the bigger player. But is there any suggestion the Canucks are actually going to go after him? Like, we haven't really quite heard it out there, you know what I mean? And I know people ask us about it. I know Jimmy asked us, others ask us, you know, is Lindholm the type of player that, that could make sense? 
if you're looking to add somebody as a UFA, who makes more sense? You paying through the nose for a guy like Gensel, or perhaps you being able to go after a guy like Lindholm, who's probably not going to cost as much, given his struggles so far this year. Yeah, I, I like Lindholm's game a lot. Um, hasn't really gone well for him this year in in, mm-hmm. uh, in Calgary. Some guys really struggle with the whole idea of playing with the pressure of a contract being... Uh, being you know top of mind other guys really thrive under the pressure of of uh, needing a new contract and we've seen that contract year Bo Horvat hello um it's uh <laughs> right you know so it, it's kind of different for everybody but I would say of those two players yeah I think Lindholm is is maybe the better fit because they could really use uh, a two-way center uh, to add to this group, and he could also play wing if you want to keep Miller and Patterson down the middle uh, for this season and, and you know reevaluate moving forward. I don't know what that looks like. Either way, like both like late 20s guys that I'm not sure you want to commit long-term to on a big number given where this, this roster is and, and where the window might be. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, I think they'd still prefer guys that are more in the you know, 24 to 27 range. That's easy to say. And harder to find, so so that's that's really ends up being the the major conundrum uh, for for this club. It's you know the the, the deadline has a lot of um, it's going to have a lot of implications on on where the season moves forward for the Vancouver mm-hmm. Canucks. But you know in in the daily sort of uh, hey what's going on with Elias Pettersson's contract discussion, uh, that is that is the latest. Okay, it's it's not necessarily whether he's staying or going. It's just Jim Rutherford saying his pending restricted free agency does not affect the Canucks' ability to do business ahead of the deadline. So for those wondering, being like, oh, are the Canucks going to be afraid of making trades now because they want certainty or they're not going to go after somebody? And I was always skeptical that that, that was going to be the case, and I would take Rutherford at his word because he's he's pretty straightforward. I don't when think has Rutherford ever been afraid to make a trade? He's Trader well, Jim, for crying out loud. The actual Trader Jim. Exactly, right? And, and he's also not afraid of telling you what he's thinking. He's not going to, like, okay, sometimes they're not going to tell you everything, but he's not going to come out and lie to you. Like, I don't think he's going to come out and he, he would have said that unless he truly means it. So for those wondering, like, I think we should still keep an eye on the Canucks until even if Pedersen doesn't sign by the deadline, that they're still going to be looking to do what they can to make the team better. It's, uh, and look, they have areas that they can upgrade the team. So yeah. ultimately, that is. What is, it should be top of mind for this club because the, they, they can improve as good as the season has gone. There's clearly some areas of the roster that they can improve on. And, and so far, you know, we've talked about this often, and Patrick Alvin is definitely going to be among the Jim Gregory Award finalists. I, I, I almost, as long as this season continues going the way that it has, I, I don't see how he doesn't at least be a finalist, even if the Canucks you know, uh, don't get past the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. It, they've just, you know, they, they've had so many hits this year, whether it's singles, doubles, triples, home runs, they've they've hit all kinds. You know, the Hronik deal mm-hmm. looks like a home run, even though it wasn't technically this offseason. He's fit like a glove next to Quinn Hughes, and they've become one of the best pairs in the, in the National Hockey League. Uh, all of the short-term bets that they made, the trade for Sam Lafferty right before the season, signing Teddy Bluger and Pew Suter and Ian Cole, all these guys have been really good additions for this team. But now the question is sort of becoming, hey, you have all these unrestricted free agents. Which ones are you going to be able to keep? And... We're hearing a lot of love for Teddy Bluger in the last couple of days, Sat. 
And for good reason. And, I mean, we know the impact he's made on the team, right? We, we heard Patrick Alvin uh, in his, or not heard, we read what Patrick Alvin had to say to Ian McIntyre in his Q&A. And the one guy he really singled out in terms of the additions was Teddy Bluger. And not just from what he's done on ice, but uh, he spent uh, quite a few words describing what he means culture-wise, the example he sets, the mindset he has, how he works. And then today, uh, Rick Tockett didn't have enough good things to say about Teddy Bluger and how he's a system guy. And you know, and, and it's funny because he to- spoke about that line and, and how they play to the system, and that's how what allows him to be successful. Spend Is that a lot like of time the, the ultimate uh, like compliment Rick Tockett will give? You're a systems guy? I think so. I mean, unlike in the NFL, if you said he's a systems quarterback, it's like a slap in the face. But you say you're a systems guy uh, to a hockey player from an NHL head coach. I mean, that's like that's like chef's kiss. You yes. couldn't ask for a better compliment. Uh, it's uh, what every coach uh, wants is more more systems guys. Um, uh, I hate to break it break you off. I just wanted to to to, to get your <laughs> pick your brain on that. But you know, Teddy Bluger. We knew what he could be defensively, and when we first spoke to him, we, we spoke to him on July 1st signing day, and you know he mentioned, and we spoke to, to him about this in Victoria as well during training camp, that he's got more offense in his game. And, you know, he's done all the things we expected him to do. He's helped the penalty kill. He's been good in the draw. But it's it's been the offense that's, that's really stood out from, from Teddy Bluger uh, for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 sorry, our first second, uh, you cut out because my my headphone. Can you repeat what the last part you just said? The offense that Teddy Bluger has provided has been yes. uh, the 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 real thing that's been unexpected from him as a player so far. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think we all thought he could score a bit more goal-wise. It's something he talked about. And if you look at his numbers, too, like for his career, he's had hit nine goals before. And if you if you extrapolated it over an 82-game pace, he'd be on pace for 13, 14 goals. Like, he's been on that type of pace before. But like he mentioned to us when we sat down with him at training camp, like you alluded to, he said like he, he feels like he can do it, but he's going to do it over a full season. He's showing it. But to me, the playmaking has been something I'm really impressed by. Like, And, and maybe it's as simple as having chemistry. And Connor Garland's been such a play driver on that line, and Joshua's fit in really well. But for instance, that goal Garland scored against the Columbus Blue Jackets, that Bluger behind the back yeah. pass from the back walls, no look. And and maybe that's just chemistry, but like he's making like pretty high skill plays. And I'm not sitting here and saying he's a second line center, but all I'm saying is if he's your third line guy and he can play with Garland and Joshua, like he can provide you 30 plus points. And if your third line center can provide you anywhere from 30 to perhaps 40 in a high water mark. Like, you're, that's really all you can ask for from a third-line center. Yeah, and he's not uh, really playing a, a, a ton of power play time or anything nope. like that. So, you know, what you see is what you get. And we mentioned uh, last week, you know, he's got more points or right there with Pierre-Luc Dubois as far as his point totals this year, 18 points in 30 games. You know, that's that's pretty impressive. Like, the, the rate statistics there are, are very impressive. And it, it's a testament to that line. You know, they've been really good together. They found some chemistry. But, um, you know, he wasn't initially part of that line. He took that spot when Pew Suter got hurt and played so well in that role, developed so well with that line, with those line mates, that you couldn't change it. And it's, it's just continued that way. And, you know, you're starting to look at this and say, okay, you've got Teddy Bluger as an unrestricted free agent, Sam Lafferty, unrestricted free agent, Dakota Joshua, unrestricted Tyler Myers, Nikita Zadorov, Ian Cole, uh, even Casey DeSmith now, who's been really good as a backup. Uh, 
you're not going to be able to keep everybody, as we know. And that's, uh, you know, the unfortunate reality of the, the salary cap. But who do you think is standing out as guys that may be long for Vancouver with the way they've played? Man, for me, uh, Bluger's probably the guy that they would do everything they can to keep if they could. Like, based on everything that they've said, I think he's the guy you look at and say, okay, uh, the GM's very high on him, the coach is very high on him. Uh, we know the coach is also very high on Sam Lafferty. He said he's the guy we hope we can keep around here. I'd say those two guys, uh, but I'm not sure you can keep Dakota Joshua, well, for instance. I'll, I'll play devil's advocate with you on, on Bluger, as much as, as much as we've liked him. Um, you, you do have Pew Suter signed for another year, mm-hmm. uh, who can play that, uh, that third line center role. You have Nils Oman, who you've been developing and continue to try to develop to see if there is more there. Plus, Atu Ratu down, uh, with Abbotsford. He's probably looking to get, uh, the bump up next year as well. I mean, look, you can't count on these things, but, uh, you do have, potential replacements if you get priced out of the Bluger market market you do right the, the only thing is I'm not sure you have any uh, like the type of replacements that really move the needle like I like Niels Oman a lot I don't know if I've seen enough where I feel like he can play like real center minutes like can he do what Suter does like I don't know if he's there you know what I yeah. mean and and the other thing is like Atu Ratu is playing wing right now uh, for the most part and that doesn't mean he can play center and, and it may not work out for him but like I don't know I don't see the organizational organizational center depth and if anything i'd rather pay the center because the center can play wing you can do different things Oman's already showing he can play wing Suter can show he can play wing i like the position of versatility more and who do you think is more likely to replicate their season for instance here dakota joshua or teddy bluger teddy bluger right yeah that's kind of and, and i love what joshua's done but guys like him are rare and i'm not sure how sticky his production is going to be is somebody going to offer him a, a Jordan Greenway type of contract or like close to 3 million potentially? Like if he hits 20 goals, which he very well could with yeah. how his season is gone, like he, he's probably out. Like you can't, you probably can't afford to be paying him three to three and a half million if he gets that potentially. And do you think he can replicate that, you know, consistently? I'm not sure he can. Well, even Jordan Greenway, uh, he used him as, as an example. Um, his career high in goals and look this is a player making what three million a year right now mm-hmm. uh jo- jordan greenway his career high in goals is 12 so dakota josh was right there yeah. right now uh, hey jordan greenway more pedigree and 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 maybe those types of things for sure a nastier player i'd say like a, a more physical presence yeah and you know he's put he put together a bunch of like 25 30 point ish seasons even though he never really scored a ton but Still, for for a, a power forward type, sometimes it doesn't take a, a, a ton to to convince somebody to give them two and a half, three million dollars a year. And I don't know if and you want to keep Dakota Joshua in that in that sort of price range. If if I felt that Dakota Joshua could play on your second line and maybe develop into being that, then I'd be like, okay, great, you know, like. But I'm not sure he can. Yeah. And uh, well, when, when he has been given that chance, he hasn't really excelled in it. So, you know, that's that's the other part of that. And you know, on defense, you know, we've talked about Myers a ton. Ian Cole, I think maybe in the right circumstance, you you would entertain keeping Ian Cole around Vancouver for how good he's been this year. Uh, but it has to be on a continued like short term type of deal in the same sort of price range. Like they have. Now with Zadorov, you do have three 
pending unrestricted free agents on defense, plus mm-hmm. Hronick as a restricted. So, like, the defense might be very different next year given uh, the the lack of, you know, locked upness between the, the, the decor. Well, absolutely, right? And like, I, I don't – so I think the decor for as good as it's been – it might be the, the position group that has the biggest changeover again next season, which is pretty wild to say considering how much success they've had. But Zadorov, Myers, and Cole are all UFAs at the end of the year. Yeah. And, I mean, given what Zadorov wants, and, and, hey, maybe he changes his mind and he's willing to play ball and do something um, that, that can work with the team potentially here. But if he wants, like, five or six years, and if he's actually looking at over $4 million per season, I'm just not sure Vancouver's going to do that. You know, so it's like, is he going to be priced out? Like, in a funny way, I think Ian Cole might be the the easier guy to bring back because he's already was going to be thirty five. He already signed a one year three million dollar deal, which tells you where his market's at. And would he say no to coming back for a year at two million potentially? Like that might be the easiest guy to bring back. Might be Ian Cole actually. Myers, you can get priced out. Zadorov, you can easily get priced out. Yeah, I think Myers, uh, as much as, <laughs> you know, he's played well this year and, and he's got some point totals to back it up, actually. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to be, again, in the, the between the 3 to $4 million range is where I would ballpark it for Myers, maybe on a two- to three-year deal. Could get something similar to, to what Carson Soucy got from the Canucks last summer. And, uh, yeah, Zadorov. I mean, I... Honestly, if Sidorov wants five years, it's like fine. Go find it somewhere else. You're not getting. Yeah, it here. God. Yeah, God bless you, and go get it somewhere else. Right? Like that's kind of how I view it too. Uh, it's just not not a player that I I think is is worthy of getting that sort of or of term. Even even if I think you know he's still going to end up being around a four million dollar player, no matter what or where he signs next year. It's it's more the the term that would scare me away than than anything else. So that's kind of where things stand, you know. There is a lot of interesting Canucks coming up into UFA. Teddy Bluger has been a real good find. They've got a lot of good finds. Uh this text from John Owen Van Locked upness. Sorry, it just made me smile. Yes, I made up a word. Okay, <laughs> Dan's good at making up words. I mean, I, for all we know, he makes up Italian words and phrases. <laughs> we just go along with it. So maybe yeah. it's what he does. You guys don't even know if I'm cursing on the air. <laughs> oh yeah, no idea. <laughs> it's just like this great ruse. Everybody's wondering what did Dan just say. You'll never know. Except maybe some of the people in North Burnaby. I don't know. Uh, all right, it's uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw coming up. Kevin Woodley is going to join us and. Um, you know, since the uh, the snowstorm has taken over our public consciousness, which Canuck would want? Would you want on your side in a in a snowstorm? <laughs> uh, we'll get some texts populating on that and uh, discuss it a little bit later on in the show. That's next on Canuck Central. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central back in uh, the Kintec studio. This hour of Canuck Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep superstore on 2nd Avenue between Camby and Main or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. 
We also have uh, JanPro, the leaders in commercial cleaning and janitorial in your workplace, demands a clean environment. Contact JanPro for a free, no obligation quote. Visit JanPro.ca. Uh, all right. Uh, we've got a lot to get to. And mm-hmm. uh, we do have a Canucks game coming up tomorrow. It's against the Arizona Coyotes. They return home, and they will play out the remainder of their pre-All-Star game schedule here in Vancouver at Rogers Arena. Uh, hopefully uh, the, the uh, streets will be more clear by that point, Sat. Let's hope so. I mean, I have people asking me, is there any way they postpone the hockey game? I'm like, well, the only way they postpone the game is if the Coyotes can't get to town, and I very, I highly doubt that they will, they'll be unable to make it to Vancouver. Um, so I think that's the only thing that could get in the way yeah. And so I, I'm not, I'm anticipating as hard as it may be with the snow tomorrow that the game's going to be a go ahead. The uh, the Sabers had to postpone their game tonight uh, mm-hmm. against uh, Chicago, I guess, and they will play it tomorrow in Buffalo. So yes, uh, <laughs> Buffalo's just gotten all of the snow in the last uh, in the last week, as we've seen between uh, their football game and now a hockey game getting uh, postponed in the in the space of a week. But uh, that's that's Buffalo for you. Uh, that's all I got to say about Buffalo. Uh, all right. <laughs> Welcoming in our next guest. It is Kevin Woodley. He is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Thanks for this, Woodley. Uh, so, h- how does the uh, how does the EV work through the town uh, when it's uh, when it's like this in the in the snow? Yeah. Well, I think for the most part, the advice applies no matter what you're driving. Like, if you don't have to go, don't go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> boy, have I seen some nastiness out there. Um, I got to be honest with you. This is my first sort of EV in the snow experience, and. Uh, yeah, do you lose a little range when it's minus 14 and you plug it in outside? Yeah, but I still have over 350 kilometers every time I get in there. There was actually too much snow today. Yeah. Just not enough clearance for a sedan. And that's why when I said White Rock Hyundai, I bought cars from them before, just grab my wife's Santa Fe plug-in hybrid, no problems, winter tires, all-wheel drive, fantastic. So it's not smoke I'm blowing when I say I've been a long-time customer out there. It's, it's legit. We got a bunch of them in the garage, and they're all beautiful, even in the snow. Great A versatility as well. Hey, listen, daughter's got a venue. Snow yeah. tires on it. Not much driving experience. Am I asking her to go out in the snow? Probably not. There's where you have the caution. Right. But I've been out in it myself, and I know I can handle it too. So the full Hyundai family, I'm all in, boys. Uh, it's uh, it's like good Patrick to hear. Alvin, I'm yeah. all in. <laughs> We'll see how all in the Canucks uh, end up being at, at the deadline. But, you know, this recent stretch, you, you look at a seven-game road trip, you come back 5-1-1, it's hard to to really uh, pick at it at all. And, you know, I think we've seen the Canucks game start to evolve as a team a little bit as the season's gone on. I know we've touched on this in weeks, but it almost feels like the, the offense is, is improving a bit. Yeah, I, I, but the one... And listen, this again, it's not a criticism because how the hell do you argue with that road trip? Like, it was impressive on every level. But it's been interesting sort of to watch some of the defensive metrics slip and where the slippage has occurred the most, and especially we're talking about a tiny sample now since January 1st, but, you know, pretty much the road trip uh, and a game at home. Um, it's in the rush chances. And this is where... Again, this is more of an observation. Let's see where this goes as opposed to any type of critique. But we see the lotto line get back together. And we see some of that creativity, including off the rush. And we see some passes that, like, like Pedersen pulling up and backdoor to Besser. And you're just like, oh, my God. Like, it's, you know, chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. 
And then there's other times where maybe trying to make some lateral plays through the middle leads to odd man rushes the other way. And so you go from up till December 1st being a top five team in terms of what you give up off the rush since December 1st on just the top 10 team. And since the new year, you know, sliding in closer to 20th. So, um, not something you worry about, obviously, coming off a 5-1-1 road trip. But an underlying trend that you say, hey, if this continues, that's, that's not a profile I like heading into the playoffs. Like giving up stuff off the rush. When we talk about teams, like the Oilers are the best example. Couldn't get a save. Everyone was all over their goaltending. They were falling apart as a team. It was all off the rush. They went from being bottom three off the rush under Woodcroft to after a few games on the road of sorting it out, they're now a top two team in terms of what they give up off the rush. And what do you know? The goaltending looks great. So we know the Canucks have great goaltending that can bail them out. But once you start bleeding rush chances, you know, as we've seen last year with the Canucks, as we saw with Edmonton earlier, and a lot of teams around the league, there's only so much goaltending can do. So that's one of the areas that you kind of look at. And I'm like, eh. I've got my eye on that. Let's see if it continues. And when you see the lotto line together, you wonder, like, this is human nature. It happens. Hey, those guys are getting away with making that pass through the middle. And if the odd one, can I do it too? And so does that sort of creep through the lineup at all? Again, tiny sample. Um, let's see what happens in the next couple of weeks. It's an interesting time for sure. Well, it also coincides with the team scoring a lot uh, more creative goals, especially the lotto line. They're, they're scoring beautiful goals the last little bit. And the question, I guess, always comes down to you. Can you have one without the other? Can you create the types of chances that they're creating without perhaps taking some of those chances that lead to odd man rushes going the other way? And that's the question, right? Like, that's where's the line? Mm-hmm. I don't pretend to have the answers. I'm just observing as, as the lines tipped one way offensively how much has the other way and so uh, I think in a perfect world, you get both. But we don't mm-hmm. live in a perfect world, right? You have to try plays to make plays. And right. as I said, like, g- give me Pedersen to, to Besser backdoor every time, like chef's kiss. That was magnificent. But, you know, Besser across the middle of the ice misses his guy, and it's a two-on-one, and it's a back in the – like, that's – there's that line, right? And maybe some of it's situational, Sat, right? Like, when you're pressing, when you're forcing, do you try more of those things? I think that's all part of the evolution of this team, right? Again, none of this is meant as a criticism. It's all just observations. And I'm curious to see where they come up with. I'm curious to see whether the coach, you know, if this continues as a team trend for another, say, two weeks, is that one of the reasons he goes away from that line if he goes away from it? Like, this is all, and the beauty of it is you're sort of playing with house money to an extent right now as you try and figure these things out, right? Like, is and does personnel change obviously between now and the end of the season like it's fun as hell to watch the lotto line go to work right and so more of that is good by me but how do they you know how do they navigate that fine between pretty offense and some of the chances it creates the other way and again hey like you could also make the argument when you've got a top five goaltender as much as we know if you get too far on the other side of that coin, goaltending almost becomes a like there's only so much a goalie can do. When you've got a top five guy and you've got a backup playing as well as Casey DeSmith, you know, not that you want to get into a trade chances game, but is some of the risk offensively worth it knowing that your guy's more likely to bail you out uh, when that risk 
goes the other way and causes odd man rushes against. And that's a little bit of what it what it feels like right now with this team is, you know, it, they've played 80 games under Rick Tockett. They've been pretty good. The first bit of Rick Tockett's tenure was really hammering down on the defensive thing and uh, playing away from the puck and getting rid of these rush chances that were just killing them and all of those things and developing the staples and the pillars of the Rick Tockett Canucks. And now that they've done that, it, it feels like they're they're trying to open it up a little bit and see how much more they can add to their game. Yeah, and 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 again, where do you, where do you draw the yeah. line? Where do you find those margins? Right, like when is when is the risk not worth the reward? Uh, and and again, it's not the same for every player. As much as you know, teams try. Everybody's supposed to play the same way. Like that's why I thought the comments coming out of the first game of the you know reunited lotto line were interesting. Because they, like at the end of the day, you're just putting, yes, there's chemistry and there's sort of an understanding of how each other plays and how much of that comes back right away. And we're going to ask those questions. But the answers that we heard, and obviously I wasn't on the road trip, but um, that you heard in some of the, the, the sort of um, audio that came out of that was more of a focus on like, hey, this is just, we all still played the same way. It was talking about still playing the way the team had and the way they want to play as a team. And because you had three really great creative players together, these were the results you got. Can you continue that? Or does the temptation when you have those three guys together to go outside of some of those directives and system-based approach, is it too tempting at times to try and get a little cute, do a few things differently? And that's, again, don't pretend to have the answers, but sure is fun to watch to see where they, where they sort of come out as a team as a coaching staff, uh, and, and as, a, as, a, as a line moving forward. So the power play has uh, has struggled a little bit the last couple months, and it's been talked about quite a bit. Uh, we did see Patterson score the other day against Columbus, and it was sort of a, a, an interesting goal where he kind of gets time and space to just set up, and instead of taking the, the one-timer, he actually sat on it and waited for a, a hole to open up on, on Elvis Merz-Lickens. I almost... I almost feel like it was it was good for Pedersen to score in a way on the power play that that isn't the one timer because it feels like they were lost too much. Yeah, um, and and interesting to me that he shot it where he shot it. I, I think we sort of think of high glove, high blocker as you know uh, the bread and butter, the place to shoot. And certainly, if you can if you can put one right by a guy's ear, that's pretty tough to catch up to with the hands, especially from that range, especially as well as Elias Pettersson shoots it. Um, but I almost feel like low glove has become the new five hole for, for lack of a better phrase. Um, as we see, and I know the pre-scouts include this material, like the reality is you can't prevent everything, especially when you get into a range where there's the human reaction time just doesn't permit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so shooters and i'm sure Pedersen is one of them because i know how much he studied like they're looking for if a guy like elvis goes what we call fingers up so a high glove and you know henrik lundquist was sort of famous for this because and, and it was on purpose because he wanted to as a smaller goalie take away the visual temptation like have a shooter come down and not see that top corner because the glove is up by his shoulder fingers pointed straight up to the sky um now shooters are taught as soon as you see a fingers up high glove like, don't shoot at it. Yes, there are goalies around the league that will show you that and then drop it because they don't have the patience to hold it because they're dropping to the butterfly a bit early and you can still expose it. It goes that way. But the toughest save when you see a goalie fingers up, 
uh, is is right over the pat because they, they, again, it's it's that constant give and take, uh, that yin and yang of goaltending. If you take something away, you're giving something else up. And you know, shooters, and in that case, Pedersen recognizing that you know, high glove is is almost a cliche. It's not always your best option, even if you can pick a spot. There are times where just off the hips, depending on how a guy holds his blocker, as I said there, high glove, shoot low, um, just over the pads. That low blocker shot always used to be a money shot for for, uh, high-end NHL shooters, and the same thing now applies on the glove side. So it was really interesting to see him sort of go to work on that. And and to me, it looked like it was very much head up, see see what he's trying to take away and shoot where he is. Well, and one thing we noticed too on the shootout attempts in that Columbus game, all the Canucks players went for, uh, went for the shot. Now, some some of them were hit into the pad, and it wasn't uh, the, the best shots that they had. Is it? Are you better off shooting on a breakaway chance on goalies, or I mean, I guess it depends on if you guy that has hands. But is that the best way to go about things generally in the shootout? Is just to shoot the puck? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like like trying to, I can see what they were trying to do. Like Elvis, sort of, it's almost like a one pad down. Um, where if you're coming off his right side, he'll drop that left pad mm-hmm. sort of almost prematurely. And it because you're coming in that direction, the only way for him to continue moving across with you is to maintain that right edge, that right skate edge, and push across with it. And so um, you can – there is a hole there. As the guy pushes, he doesn't seal the ice. Like there's a hole underneath the right pad, underneath the pad – in the direction you're sort of coming from, there will always be a hole, but Elvis did a pretty good job of keeping the stick there. And there's some, you know, there's some margin for error with the stick. There's gaps underneath the heel of it and things like that. So I can see shooting there. Um, It's just, to me, it's like a, it's a much smaller spot than some of the other things you can open up on a goaltender when you're choosing shot. I, to me, that's your best bet shot over Deke. Uh, There are goaltenders in the NHL that that's their philosophy. They get out, match your speed, and their whole goal, and shootouts are a little different, I guess, than a pure breakaway, but their whole goal is I want to encourage a shooter to to deke rather than shoot because a shot can go low blocker, high blocker, five hole, low glove, high glove, off my hip, by my ear, anywhere, and I'm reacting to a whole bunch of different things. If I can hold edges, get that guy into a deke position, a deke only goes one and two way, guys. It's left or right. And if I'm patient enough, and obviously on a shootout, there's time for guys to pull it back the other way or a Forsberg-type move. But if I'm patient enough in that left or right decision and I've got good edges and, and they're loaded up, that's a lot easier than a shot that can go anywhere for sure. Uh, Elvis Merzlikens made it uh, pretty clear he wants out of Columbus with the way things have uh, have gone lately, uh, and him, uh, you know, it was his first start I think since uh, since late December when he played against Vancouver the other day. Um, how worthy of a trade target is he for goalie needy teams? I think teams will, and this is the interesting one. Um, the exuberance you saw as much as we all understood it, the personality that Elvis comes with. And that sort of, you know, I think, what do you say? Letting the beast out or... Uh, Letting the, the monster I, out, yeah. The monster, there we go. Like, Elvis has a personality. I love it. But there are a lot of teams and a lot of general managers around the league that want their goaltender seen, not hurt. And so the irony is, on a list that's already short because of his contract, I'm not sure that helps. I don't think it should be a problem. I don't necessarily agree with that opinion. But it's just the way it is, right? It's like... Um, they don't want to. He's got plenty of it. So 
that probably didn't help. At the end of the day, it's going to be the contract because it's not the talent. There's a ton there. His numbers this season on a whole, he's plus 1%, uh, above expected on save percentage behind a pretty permissive team. And, you know, that that's flirting with sort of top 20, 25 in the league on the season. Since December 1st, and you're right, there's a large chunk where he didn't play, but, like, his game sort of since late November, early December is plus 2.5%. Like, that's in the top 10 of the league. He's got a ton of athletic ability. He works hard and is a willing sort of uh, learner when it comes to sort of adding technical elements to his game. Um, there's a lot of upside. There's a lot of there there. It's just there's also three years plus this one on a $5.4 million cap hit, a lot of personality, a history of volatility performance-wise, um, and probably a team that's not looking to eat money because of, there's so much term in any deal, right? Because you got to hold on to it for the full full contract. So it's a tough trade. Are there teams I think Elvis Merzlikens could absolutely help? Yeah, yeah. Like, is, do I think Elvis Merzlikens is better than the options they have in New Jersey right now? Yes. And is he used to playing behind a team that gives up a fair amount of chances like Jersey does? Yes. Is Jersey likely to make that transaction? Probably not. So uh, I think he is a worthy trade target for certain teams. I, I just think there's a whole bunch, you know, almost – I feel like I'm having a Luongo flashback, right? Like, my contract sucks. <laughs> that contract becomes a very difficult part of the conversation to move Elvis Merzlikens. And it's too bad because ever since uh, what happened with um, uh, Matthias Kivlenix and the, the relationship that was there, I mean, Elvis was there. They're all at the goalie coach's house over the summer, Manny Legacy, and just a tragic accident. But there's just, like, you just want to him, see him get a fresh start. Like, nothing's sort of gone their way for a while or his way for a while, and it just feels like he needs a fresh start somewhere else. But I absolutely believe in the talent that's there. It's just a matter of the right sort of voice to harness it. Uh, on Thursday, uh, the Arizona Coyotes are in town, and, I mean, they've been a big surprise this season. Their goaltender, Connor Ingram, has been fantastic. I mean, we talk about a player getting picked up for next to nothing. He's coming in and giving, uh, like, grade-A goalie appearances. How good is he, and how much of, of his success is also related to how that team plays? Listen, they go hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, team plays well. He's got a somewhat higher expected save percentage than a lot of guys around the league. Um, but it's not like, like they're not juggernaut. Um, they're an Andre. Like, Andre Turnier deserves a lot of credit as a head coach. Interestingly enough, uh, I, did, I did a thing with Hockey Canada years ago uh, where I was sort of like uh, on a panel, um, I guess, sort of like playing – bus driver right like just sort of like steering questions amongst these different goalie coaches and on he just come off the world championship when he was on as a head coach and i was like why do we have a head coach on a goalie coach panel or and there's other goalies on like it made no sense to me but i quickly realized why like he's so in touch with the position when he was an assistant coach with patrick Waugh in colorado he told us that they would actually alter their penalty kill which he was responsible for depending on the goaltender that was in net whether it was jay shiger or Semyon Varlamov, because they had very different strengths and weaknesses, and so they catered what they were going to give up or what they were going to try and take away to those needs. And so this is a guy that understands the position, understands how to get the best out of it, understands what systems will fit the strengths of his goalies, and so that's part of this for sure. But Connor Ingram's also a guy with a ton of talent. Uh, he's been you know, more open in, in the last little while about needing to get past and the diagnosis of OCD and all the work he did on his mental health to sort of get to the point where he could give himself a chance to be comfortable and play like this. 
the talent sort of always been there. And um, the underlying numbers when he was in Nashville, even though the raw numbers didn't jump out, like he was a guy that when, when Craig Morgan from Arizona phoned and said, who should they get? Cause they needed a goalie last season off waivers. He was the first one on my list because of the underlying numbers. And so there's a lot of talent there. Um, there's been an evolution under Corey Schwab. Uh, he uses a lot more shuffles now. Schwabby in, in Arizona is a hell of a goalie coach. I think they had a department there for a while, and Brian DeCord left as the head of that department, but they maintained some of those elements. Like, they keep getting goalies and turning out good goalies, and Corey Schwab's part of it. How Andre Tournier's part of it. They have a goalie scout specific to the position in Clay Adams. I think he's probably a big part of it, one I always forget to mention when it comes to identifying talent, like, like Vamelka, like Connor Ingram. And so you put all those things together, and yes, like they're having success, the way the team plays and the way it relates to goaltending is a big part of it. And the goalies are definitely more than holding up their end of the bargain within that. And you're happy for Connor Ingram because of what he went through, but you're not shocked after he came out the other side of it because there's always sort of been a talent there. Woodley, uh, always wish we had more time. Thanks for this today. Because I talk too much. <laughs> Thanks, guys. There is Kevin Woodley on Sports at 650, brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. Some some interesting thoughts there on, on the Canucks. You know, we've seen their offense pick up, and they had some pretty stellar defensive performances through the the road trip as well. I, I guess the Islanders game really sticks out, but as they've generated more offense five on five, Sat they've started to slip a little bit defensively by giving up a few more rush chances. Yeah, and we've noticed that there have been you know a few odd mans that have happened here and there against them, and you know the, the one I think back to is was the Besser giveaway at the point yeah, where I yeah. think they've tried some of those middle ice and more adventurous passes that have been picked off at times and they've gone the other way, and I think that's the whole balancing act of. You're, you're trying to create a bit more and be more creative and, and perhaps be a bit more brave with some of the chances you take, and that can lead to it going the other way. We know overall they want to limit those chances against, but at the same time, like you want to be able to score. So it's still this evolution for the team. I think the team has done a really good job of evolving offensively, but I don't think they're at the point yet where they've honed in into everything. And I think that's very exciting because you can look at it and say, from a results standpoint and perhaps the puck going in standpoint, are they peaking perhaps? But in terms of their overall team play, I don't think they've peaked yet. I think this is what is most, uh, almost one of the most impressive things of the season is that they've kept evolving, right? Mm -hmm. They've kept adding things to their game, and it feels like they're they're trying to push the ceiling of what they could be right now with this current roster, and testing out what that could look like. And, yeah. And you know, I think that's that's this is probably the optimal time to do it, given you're a month and a little bit out from the trade deadline, and you're trying to figure out what could we add that could really help us reach this ceiling. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think it's it's. The, I mean, you can always tweak a few things, right? Like, I mean, in a perfect world, would you like to add a physical forward and a scoring forward that has versatility? Sure. Would you love to add another defenseman as a, a pure top four guy? Yes, sure. But I mean, you can't put together the perfect team. The perfect team doesn't exist in today's NHL outside of perhaps like Vegas when everything comes together, right? Like, and even them, they're still looking to add a little bit. So I don't know if you can have the perfect team, but if you do add a little bit more, like on the higher end of things, can it take this team to another level? 
Uh, I, I would argue 2009 Barcelona is, is, a, is a perfect team. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. That was Ronaldinho was on that team too, right? That was uh, Thierry Henry. They had uh, Samuel Eto'o, Messi. Uh, oh man, that was, that was uh, Iniesta, Xavi. That was a really good team. Anyways. Busquets, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's a very good team. <laughs> uh, all right, way too much soccer talk, guys. All right, all right, we get it. Overrated, underrated. It's coming up next on Canuck Central.